Welcome to Sundays with Hosanna Fellowship, a ministry of Hosanna International Ministries, bringing you God's Word, His power, and His authority to our community and the world. It is our desire to empower you to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to those around you. Let's listen in to today's message. Well, I am the pleasure of the uh, next couple. And I've been informed that we are um, in for a treat. Um, apparently, Miss Charlotte has like, I don't know, 20, 30 pages of notes. So, <clears throat> so Pastor Jeff has said, I, I'm just going to come up and basically hand off. Um, so Pastor Jeff and Charlotte, they are an amazing couple. Um, I've gotten to know and love um, Pastor Jeff over the years. And... Uh, yeah, he may look all rough and gruff, and, you know, he doesn't smile a whole lot, um, but deep down inside, um, he is a, just a joy to be around. He's an exceptional teacher, and um, we love him. Our folks down at the dwelling place absolutely love when he's uh, able to come in and do teachings. Um, he just operates in wisdom. He operates at the prophetic. And uh, his wife is an anointed worshiper and um, just a beautiful voice. It's a pure voice. Um, and they're just amazing. So I think it's going to be a great time. And pastor here in uh, St. Joseph. And how long have you guys been pastoring there now? Yeah, so at the same time, we've been doing things. So praise God. And... Um, so sit back, enjoy, take notes, and listen. Um, you know, that's why we're here, is to just glean from one another. And we have an opportunity. We have some exceptional teachers and preachers and evangelists um, in our midst. And sometimes I think we take that for granted. And um, really tune in. God has orchestrated this thing, and it's awesome when we get to see the fivefold ministry in operation, the way that it was designed. So please welcome Pastor Jeff and Charla. Come on up. Thank you, Joe. I told Joe, you hand me the microphone. Because I looked over her shoulder, and she's got eight or nine pages of notes. This may be it for me today, okay? After 43 years, I said 43. Did I not say 43? No, 43 years, and it was just Wednesday, so. And I'm the only one who has never forgotten our anniversary. <clears throat> anyway. This will be my last thing that you get to say today. <laughs> and no, we didn't collaborate on what she was going to say or what I was going to say. And here's why. I don't need to. After 43 years, I don't need to know what she's going to say. Not at all. Because whatever she says... I know it's going to be from the heart of God. Amen. So, 
there's two pages. And that's uh, simply because uh, I am not like him who can have one sentence and preach for a half hour on that one sentence. I'd be out like a light. I have to have them all written down. But I'd like to, first of all, thank you. Thank you for a fellowship that gives an opportunity for ministry all the time and to anyone. I'm not the preacher in our family. Um, I have filled in for Jeff on occasion on a Wednesday night when he couldn't be there. But speaking isn't my comfort zone. The mic is okay, but speaking isn't it. So my goal this morning is to be obedient because obedience is better than sacrifice. So I hope that what the Lord has been telling me is helpful to you. How, how, how many moms do we have in this place this morning? Now, I say moms only for example because I know the, the fathers are the same way. And I was sharing this with one of the ladies or a couple of the ladies earlier. As parents, when we have children, multiple children, some of them have certain strengths and the others have other strengths. But we don't love any of them any less. We don't value any of them any more than the other. God is like that. Because he gave, they get their stuff from us, you know, most of the time, right? So whatever it is that God has gifted you with, you got it from him, and he loves you for it. How many of us, on so many occasions, will see, our, see something of ourselves in our children? Sometimes it's a good thing, sometimes it's not a good thing. But when that happens, we just love them. We just love them. And all of us are his children. And we're all doing whatever it is he built us to do. And some of us, it's standing behind a pulpit. And some of us, it's not. But he values us just the same. There are, the scripture says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. And there are different kinds of workings, but the same God works all of them in all. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. So we stir each other up. We lift each other up. And women are especially keen on that. Women build each other up and get in our women's groups. So with that being said, can I do a little survey? And this is going to take some interaction. I'd like to just take a little survey this morning, and then I'm going to turn it over to the real preacher in the family. Would you, if, if there's any lady, ladies in this building this morning, 
and you participate in teaching Sunday school, children's ministry, homeschool, any of you, would you stand? If there's anybody in here that does that this morning, if you participate in that. Yes, if you teach in any, any form or fashion, whether it be Sunday school, children's ministry. Okay, how many of you have taught adults, and, and it's not, we're not talking Sunday school, we're talking exhorting, pastor, or preaching? You can stand. I know there's one right there. You better be standing, Mary. <laughs> okay. If you have served in your church as a events coordinator, organizer, that kind of thing, okay, uh, or even women's ministry, how many in the place are working in your church as uh, administrative office, taking care of the church office? How many of you in here are faithfully raising your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord? How many of you consider yourselves prayer warriors or intercessors? That's your main focus. How many of you find yourselves serving in the kitchen on big events like this and helping fix meals, and clean up after, and prepare before whatever the decorations are. Well, I'd like to introduce you to the strong women of faith in our fellowship. Whatever God has called you to do, do it in obedience, and you are a strong woman of God. You can have a seat. And what I just want to finish with, and I'm going to hand it off, is that if you are out there and you're looking for someone to mentor you, to lead you, to show you how to be a strong woman of God, you might just be sitting next to one every Sunday. They don't have to be behind a pulpit. They're all among us doing what God called them to do. And God says, that's my girl. So let's just be his children. Amen. My wife loves me. That's why she left me some time. You have your Bibles, and you should. Hebrews chapter 7. Now, Doc, I'm going to use something you said last night. And I'm going to step on it a little bit, but it's not to to change anything. I just want to, uh, as way, as to use it as an example of something. Now, we're going to look in Hebrews chapter 7. And keep your finger there, 
and go over to Ephesians chapter 1. Now, while you're going to Ephesians chapter 1, I want to read another scripture from Hebrews. And it's in chapter 4, and everybody knows this one by heart, so that's why I'm not going to have you look at it. But it says, For the word of God is living and active, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And what I want to speak about for just a few minutes is the importance of the authority and the authenticity of the Word of God. One of the problems, well, let me take that back, probably the greatest problem in the so-called church today. I'm not talking about the authentic church. How many of you know there's a difference between the so-called church and the authentic church? Amen? But the biggest difference is that the so-called church doesn't believe that this is the Word of God. They believe that somewhere in there, there is some truth, but that's not our only uh, authority when it comes to knowing God. And they'll, they'll bring in experience and this and that and the other thing, okay? Now, I want us to understand something because I think even the those of us who belong to the authentic church, and hopefully we do, and I say hopefully I do, I want to be found authentic on that day. I don't want to be hypocritical about anything because everything, the Scripture says that everything that we do is laid bare before the eyes of the Lord. Everything. So he knows it. It's like Doc said last night. Uh, <clears throat> the Lord knows your thoughts even before you think them. So, but what I want to address this morning is the authority and the authenticity of the word and why that is important. Now, over in Ephesians chapter 1, there is a phrase that we find here over and over and over. And it begins in verse 3 of chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. And the phrase that I want to call our attention to this morning is the one that says, in Christ. If you go through the first chapter of Ephesians into, I think it's about the 10th verse of chapter 2, you're going to find this phrase, in Christ, in Him, in the beloved. You're going to find that some 18 times. And I think probably that if the Lord puts a certain phrase in such a short place or in such a short uh, passage of Scripture in His Word, there must be something important in it. He must be trying to draw our attention to something. If he uses repetition like that. And so there is something here that we, that I believe that it is foundational to us 
in not just our personal relationship with the Lord, but in that working out of what's in us to the world. It has got to come not just from what we think. There has to be some authority and there has to be some authenticity that's involved here. And when he goes through here and he talks about being in Christ, being in the Lord, being in the beloved, how he has even over in chapter 2, he'll go on and he'll say, but he raised us up and set us together with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that in the ages to come, he will, what? Show us that he will pour out his love and his grace and lavish us. You know, all through this, this passage of Scripture, that's what he's talking about. And he talks about how we were sealed. What does it mean to be sealed in something? It means encased. That, that's good, brother, because you're thinking exactly what I was. Anybody ever like... <laughs> I have a confession to make. I love gangster movies. I don't know why. If it's a sin, Lord, forgive me. But they're always talking about some guy wearing either a pair of concrete shoes or a concrete jacket. They, they, they take somebody and they whack them and they, they encase them in concrete. They seal them in that so they can never be found again, hopefully. Scripture says you and I are in Christ and we are sealed in him in the Holy Spirit. Now here's something that that I think, I believe, is where we get off track. Okay? Okay? And people will say, well, no, it's like we're sealed in him. Or it's like we're his children. You see, we, we, I think we take, we don't take the scriptures literally enough. We're always looking for something that we can just call a metaphor or a simile or something like that. Well, it's similar to being children of God. Uh-uh. First John says this. He says, Beloved, now we are children of God. Now. Now we are. He didn't say when we get to heaven. He says now. And you see, there's something here in Scripture that we have got to be able to build a foundation or build our house on. There is a foundation here that is necessary for our operation. You know, Scripture says there is a foundation is laid, no other man can lay. And what is it? Jesus Christ. And the foundation for our conduct, and what I mean by conduct is not just how we behave but it is how we conduct every bit of our lives. And what is that foundation? How do we know how to do things? It's here. It's here. 
Anybody in here ever buy a new automobile? Sure. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many, when you bought it, you got the book out and you started to read it to see how everything worked? No, we don't do that. We know how to work on cars. We know how to make things work. We get in and we start to go and we can't get the radio to work. And what's the matter with this crazy radio? Yeah, that's the way we are because we think we know how to do everything. We think we know what makes it work. I had a newer pickup truck, Chevy. I'm a, I'm a GM man. I like Chevys, okay? But because of some of the baloney that they started putting in these vehicles, I got rid of it, and I bought me an old one. It's a 2005. I don't plan to ever own anything newer than that as far as a pickup goes anymore because I can work on that thing. I can't work on the new ones because, <coughs> excuse me, because there's so much stuff in there that you just can't figure it out anymore. And I don't, I've gotten to the place where I don't want to learn anything new about that anymore. Here's what I want to learn about nowadays is this. I want to learn about this. Why do I want to learn about this? Because I'll be 67 here pretty quick. I know I don't look a day over 40. <clears throat> but the thing of it is, I don't want to waste any more time. And the key, I believe, one of the keys, of course, is our relationship with the Lord. But it's also in what he has to say about me and my relationship to him and my relationship to Brother Chikosi and to, to uh, Jerry and to whoever else is in the body of Christ and what God has done and what he has said and especially not just what he has said but what he has made Now, Doc, you said something last night that when Christ died on the cross, we died too. And I know people will sit and say, well, it's, yeah, it's like that. that that's the way it, it that, I found that I, it, yeah, parts of my life are that, it, no. Uh -uh. That ain't enough. Go ahead and turn from Ephesians back over into Hebrews there where you kept your finger. There is a principle in Scripture that we need to understand, and it is that Scripture interprets Scripture. If you do not understand something when you're reading through the Word, just keep reading, because God has put something in there that will explain things that you may not understand. And in those things that He puts in there, there are also the things called keys. And keys, what do keys do? They unlock things, don't they? They unlock a door, they'll unlock your car, they'll unlock whatever. A key will unlock things for you. God has put keys in his word that will unlock scripture for you. 
and they will unlock our understanding. Now, here in Hebrews, chapter 7, verse, I'm going to begin with verse 8. I'm going to talk about something here, and people are going to say, he's going to talk about tithing. That's all them preachers know. They talk about tithing. Don't turn this off because I'm not going to talk about tithing, okay? I'm going to talk about a key here that I believe will help to unlock certain things in our lives. In this case, mortal men receive tithes. Now, who's he talking about? He is start, he's talking about in this, this passage of Scripture, he's talking about Melchizedek and the difference between Melchizedek, that priesthood, and the priesthood of Levi. We know Melchizedek, and I think you mentioned this last night, Doc. Melchizedek, some people believe that he was actually the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. They believe he was what we call an anthropomorphism, and that is, that is just simply an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. What does that mean, pre-incarnate? It, it's an appearance of Christ to people that happened before he actually became Jesus, the man. That's pre-incarnate. A lot of people believe that's who Melchizedek was. And whether it was or not is, you know, for another time. But there is every real possibility that that's true. And he's talking here about the difference between that eternal priesthood and a temporary priesthood. A priesthood of spiritual origin and a priesthood that is an origin of the law. And he's talking about the difference between the two. And here he brings up the subject of tithe. And he says this. He says, in this case, mortal men receive tithes, but in that case, one receives them. What case is he talking about? He's talking about the case of where Abraham paid tithe to Melchizedek. He said, in that case, one receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives on. There's a very good argument right there that Melchizedek is Jesus Christ. Because Melchizedek himself, if he was a mortal man, he died. But he says this, and he says, And so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes. For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now, when did and how long was it after Mel, or, or after Abraham? How long after Abraham was on the earth did Levi come into being? Anybody know? About four hundred thirty years, four hundred fifty years, something like that. And the writer of Hebrews here, boy, when we come to talk about women, I could tell you something here that probably not most of your hats in the crick, okay? But <clears throat> when he's talking here, he says, the man who is under the law, who is receiving tithe, even though he never met Melchizedek, even though he never knew Melchizedek, 
he says, Levi paid tithe to Melchizedek. Now, how's that possible? He was 400, let's just say 450 years before Levi was ever even born. But the scripture says he paid tithe to Melchizedek because he was in Abraham. He was in the loins of Abraham. He was in Abraham, and it was credited to him. It was credited to Levi that he paid tithe to Melchizedek, even though it was another 450 years before he would live. That's a fact. It's not like he paid tithe. He did. How do I know that? Because Scripture says so. Well, how do I reconcile that with the fact that he lived 450 years before? It's reality in God. And see, God's reality is the true reality. The chair you're sitting on is a physical reality, but Scripture says we know that the things that are created, the things that we see, were created by things that we do not see. And even if we want to talk about how God is the creator of all things and we don't see God, we can also talk about in the natural because what we know about what we are sitting on here, about all of this physical matter, is that at the very base of every bit of physical matter, there are things there that we simply cannot see. They are that small, but they're that powerful. So the reality of what God says is the reality. And when my physical reality is in conflict with God's reality, there is only one reality that I should be looking to. The real reality. Everything, everything that is a battle in, in the physical has already been won or lost in the spirit. It's, it's already been won or lost in the spirit. Yesterday morning at, at our minister's meeting, I was talking about how we are, we are attacked, uh, the ministers, but not just ministers. We are, listen, the days that we're living in, Paul said in the last days, there will be perilous times. As if Paul didn't live in a perilous time. But he said, hey, those are going to be perilous times. And here's something we need to understand. Things that, listen, I believe this, things that worked last year aren't going to be enough in what we're going into. Where we are headed in the spirit, in this physical world, they're not going to be enough. Things that won the battle yesterday won't win the battle where we're going. It's going to take more. I'm not saying that we don't do what we have been doing, but it's either going to take a prolonged process, or we're going to have to add more to it. 
That's one of the reasons I quit working on these new cars. I can take the knowledge that I had if I wanted to build on that and keep learning and do that, but I don't really care to do that anymore. But if I'm going to succeed in this walk, in my calling, in what God has put me on this earth to do, then I've got to understand something. What I have been doing ain't enough. It's going to take more. And a lot of people are saying, but here's what we need to understand. God put us here for this time. I am wonderfully and fearfully made, not in my physical body. Because, you see, when Jesus died on the cross, I was in him. I was in him. And like you said last night, when Christ died, I died. We did. Why? Because we were in him. Just like Levi was in Melchizedek and God credited unto Levi the righteousness of, of Abraham paying Melchizedek, God credits us the righteousness. Why? Because spiritually, which is the true reality, spiritually we were in Christ because that same spirit that Christ had in him going to the cross is the same spirit of which you and I have been born from above. The same spirit. You don't have a different Holy Spirit than what Jesus had. There, there's only one. Abraham's righteousness for having paid that tithe to Melchizedek became Levi's righteousness. How do I know? Because he said so. Did I see it? No. God said so. The righteousness of Christ. What happened on the cross? What happened in the grave? What happened at the resurrection is mine. Because why? I am in Christ because I was in Christ when he did that. It's not like I was in Christ. See, we have got to, we have got to flush some of this stuff out of our thinking. We've got to flush it out. And it has to be replaced, Scripture says, by the washing of what? The water of the Word. You flush out the, and I had a college professor, he called it stinking thinking. You flush the old thoughts, the old mindset. We flush it out by the water of the Word of God. And we have got to allow the Word of God to be exactly what the Word of God is.
What is the Word of God? Well, it's going to sound redundant, but the Word of God is the Word of God. It's authentic. It's authentic. And you know what the best part is? It's authoritative. I heard somebody say the other day that he, he was praying and the Lord spoke to him and he says, my word in your mouth is as powerful as the word in my mouth. The same Holy Spirit. I preach this over and over. Isaiah 61 says what? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me too. He hasn't just anointed us. The anointing isn't just for us to walk around in like a, a long coat, and, you know, to get, get people to call us apostle or prophet or whatever. That's not what the anointing is for. He has anointed us too. Do something. How do I know that? Because Jesus was anointed to do something. He wasn't just anointed to be something, which is what most of us would like to say. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I've got this title and everything. Fooey on that. Fooey on that. Jesus said, The greatest among you will be what? Servant. He said, Don't be called father. Don't be called leader. Don't even be called teacher. He said, be the servant. Be the servant. But the word of the Lord tells us we are anointed with, with the same Holy Spirit that Jesus was anointed with. Now, here's another one. Turn back to Ephesians. I'm going to close with this, Mark, because I know I'm pretty close. Or, or uh, Joe, I'm sorry. I cannot get past this scripture. This thing has been like a splinter. Any of you ever get a splinter in your finger and you just can't get it out? And it festers and it, it swells up and you, you drain it, but you don't quite get it all out of there. And the thing, it, it just comes back and keeps coming back. A metal splinter is worse than a wooden one. I used to work building trucks over in Elwood. And it's impossible to do that job without getting metal splinters in you somewhere. And they're hard to get out. It's a process. This thing is a splinter in me. When he comes down through chapter 1 in Ephesians, he's talking about the glory, and he's talking about the power, and he's talking about the greatness and he's talking about raising Christ from the dead. And he's talking about all these things. And he gets down to verse 22. And he says, And he, God, put all things in subjection under his, Christ's, feet, and gave Christ as head over all things to the church. And people say, Amen. Christ is our head over all things. He goes and he says this. 
And this is my splinter, okay? Which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all is in all. Now, that's got to mean something. And it's got to mean more than what we're living. He says that we are Christ's body. He doesn't say we are like Christ's body. We are his body. And then he says this, and I, I don't understand this. We are the fullness. We are the fullness of him. Now, I stagger at that spiritually. I stagger in that, at that mentally. I stagger at that. Because we are the fullness of Christ. He who fills all in all. There's more to it than our conferences. There's more to it than good meetings. There is more to it than good church on Sunday. There's more to it than good Bible studies on Wednesday night. There's more to it than good prayer meetings. You know what I think, Joe? I think we don't expect enough from God. I think we don't expect enough. I think we don't presume enough that what God said is true. Because if we did, we would be acting accordingly. The church would be showing the world that we are the fullness of him who sits at the right hand of the Father. And not just on occasions like these conferences, not just on occasions of when we have revivals in the church, not just on separate occasions for this, that, and the other special thing. It sh there, sh there should not be anything more going on in this conference than what goes on the rest of the time. They, sh they shouldn't be. Because he says, we are the fullness of him. How can that be? Because we were in him when he died on the cross. We were in him. You know what? I don't think we're supposed to get past these splinters. I think they're supposed to go into our heart. And keep irritating us until we see that fullness actually taking place. Amen. Amen.